0: We're uh, in the story uh, here in First Samuel chapter 15 of two kings, a good one and a bad one. Bad one. We haven't actually met the good one yet. That's next week. Come back. We'll hang out and we'll talk about a guy who's uh, pretty amazing, uh, a guy named David. Not perfect, but good. Uh, we've been studying though up to this point in the book of First Samuel, uh, a guy named Saul. Not good. Kind of lousy. Uh, pretty lame in terms of uh, being a king. Uh, doesn't lead well. Doesn't honor God well. And uh, today we're going to finish off the story of his demise. If you've been with us over the last two weeks, like I said, I thought I'd preach this on one Sunday, third Sunday this week. How's it going? Uh, we will finish today. But uh, if you've been over here, the la- or here over the last couple of weeks, you, you heard us talk about the first few verses where God, through Samuel, tells Saul uh, to exact a judgment. Uh, bring about a, a finalization of a judgment that 400 years before had been proclaimed during the Exodus uh, the Amalekites, a, a people who were wicked, desperately wicked, and had persecuted the children of Israel, uh, were meant to be dealt with. We talked about that uh, that first week. And then we saw as Saul and his armies gathered, you know, over 200,000 soldiers uh, went and, and basically had this incredible victory uh, uh, over the Amalekites. Uh, except they didn't obey completely the commands of God. The command had been to wipe everything out, including the herds. Uh, but Saul, as a king, took for himself a trophy. The king of uh, the Amalekites was a guy named Agag. Everybody say ag, ag. Agag. It's just fun. Agagagagag. Ag, ag, ag. Anyway, uh, but that king was spared uh, against the commands of God. And, and, and the, the, the armies of Israel said, hey, really? Are we going to end all of these herds? Herds back then uh, were the, the, the currency of the culture. If you had large herds, you had plenty to eat and plenty to sell and barter with. And so they're like, seriously, we're going like to kill all of these herds? And Saul's like, well, I guess not. Take the best ones, kill the rest. Uh, but then uh, that's how the story kind of ends. Saul is so convinced of his uh, you know, uh, success that he heads off to Carmel, a town in uh, Israel at the time, uh, to build himself a statue to himself. Uh, and, and while that's going on as he's heading there, uh, God comes to Samuel in a, probably a dream in the night and says, no, nope, we're, we're done. Me and Saul, it's over. Uh, Samuel stays up all night grieving. Uh, the, the, the loss of, of the, the regency of Saul. And so it's understandable what then they, when they finally meet up the next day uh, uh, to, to have their first conversation, Saul comes to him and says, nailed it! Just crushed it, man. You would not believe the victory that we have secured uh, bless me, bless everybody involved, and bless you and the God of Israel. Uh, uh, Samuel, do you remember, he says to him, hey, wait a minute, if you nailed it so well, how come I can hear animals mooing and baaing, if that's a word, huh. bleeding, is that the B-L-E-A-T? Whatever, they're making noise. He hears the animals who are supposed to not be alive uh, making their noises, and, and Saul has a choice right there. And, and we saw him make it. He decided, uh, rather than repent, and admit where he was wrong, he was going to wiggle. And we as humans love to wiggle out of things, don't we? We learn it early. If I can just talk fast enough and loud enough, probably I could talk my way out of this. And so that's what Saul does. We talked last week about watching out for the wiggle. When you fail, which you will do, probably today, if you haven't already, it's coming. You're going to blow it somehow in a relationship with someone, uh, in in, in your dealings with with a certain, certain situation, you're going to make a mistake. And, and I want to just, man, admonish you, encourage you. Don't try to justify your mistakes. Just own them, deal with them and move on. All right? Would people be a little bit better uh, if they would just choose that? I think so. And Saul has that choice to just admit where he was wrong, but instead he wiggles. the, the three common wiggles. Uh, that uh, people do are the first is deflect the blame. That's what he does in verse 15. If you want to pick up there, that's where we finished last week. He says, well, it wasn't me, it was them. They have brought them, the people, the the soldiers that were with me. They brought these flocks that you're hearing uh, up from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best sheep and uh, all the oxen. It wasn't my fault. I didn't do it. It was them. The second thing in the wiggle is defending the choice. We talked about that last week. Uh, He says, and listen, even though uh, they've done this, I think it's going to work out to be the the best. It's a great choice. He says, they've spared the best of the sheep and the oxen uh, oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. It's going to be great. God's going to get all kinds of sacrifices. It'll be awesome. This move was a great idea. Uh, The third way that he wiggles is he diminishes the offense. We do all three of these. We defend, we deflect, we diminish Look at how he finishes verse 15. He says, uh, they they brought all these sheep and oxen. Why can't I say oxen? How's your oxen doing? Anyway, uh, uh, he he took all the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And and don't forget, the rest we have devoted to destruction. We did the rest of it. Like 99 point, I don't know, 95% of what we were told to do, we did. We did all. And we're funny when we define all. We mean mostly, but uh, the rest we've devoted to destruction. If you are here last week, uh, Samuel uh, is listening to Saul do the wiggle, and he's like, "Mm, done, and he just utters this one Hebrew word that means stop it, (laughs) knock it off. Do you have someone in your life who is your Samuel that when you get going and you start saying all the mess that you say, they're like, really, stop it. I married mine. She's amazing, right? She can see through all the stuff. Uh, that I'm throwing out there as to why it's okay that I've done what I've done or I'm choosing what I'm choosing. And she's just like, seriously, Mark, really? Can we just stop, please? Saul so hears Samuel say stop in verse 16. And he says, all right, fine, speak. And Samuel does. In verse 17, the last part of it, he says, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you a king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, verse 18... Go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they're consumed. He's like, listen, the command was pretty clear, pretty simple. Like there wasn't like all of these levels in this. It was just go take care of what God has for 400 years, uh, you know, basically levied as the punishment uh, for these people, the Amalekites. Go do it, and, and leave nothing, nothing uh, to be uh, spared. Pretty simple orders. What part had Saul? not understood. Samuel comes to a clarifying question next. He says, why, Saul, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? I love that word, pounce. Uh, It's uh, been used twice in our our story so far. It it occurred a few chapters before when uh, in the story of Saul in in another battle. uh, uh, He had uh, wrongly commanded the armies of Israel to not eat. They had to fast while they were fighting. Okay, I don't know how long you've been without food, but if you go like a whole day of defending yourself and you're not refueling with the food, he said, nobody eats until we win this victory. It wasn't something God commanded him to say. It was just Saul kind of riffing. He kind of got, got all full of himself and said, I'm going to make sure that God honors us, and so I'm going to make up. I know nobody in here would ever make up what God wants in their lives, but Saul was doing that, okay? And so Saul uh, puts this on his, his army, and his son Jonathan doesn't get the tweet. It didn't come through. Maybe his phone was off. I don't know. But he doesn't hear that he's not supposed to eat. And so he, in front of all the other soldiers, is just going to town. I mean, he's at the buffet. It's Golden Corral all up in there. And he's just having everything he can eat. And everybody's like, what's going to happen to Jonathan? Now, read the story. It's a few chapters before this. Uh, But what happened is that once they saw Jonathan, the rest of the army, and here's the word, pounced. Like a ravenous horde. On all the spoils of war. I mean, it was like, it got kind of crazy. You know, they were just eating everything they could get their hands on, and it was this reaction uh, to hunger that made them pounce. Has anybody like you know gone too long without eating? And the first piece of food you see, you don't really chew. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like it was a piece of pizza, and it never hit your teeth, and it just went from here to here, and you're ravenous. You pounced. We have a pounce uh, pounce puppy in our house. His name is Toby. He is a 11 pounds of uh, gentle, cuddly uh, goodness. Until you stand up in my living room for some reason, people will attest that if you stand up in my living room and start to move in any direction without his, you know, consented permission, he's on you. He like he'll be laying on 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 the you know the the recliner with me on the little leg part there, and he'll just be down like you know he is in the picture. And then all of a sudden, someone from my life group will move, and it's go time. And he is across the room. Has anybody got this dog? I have this dog. He is across the room, and he is jumping up on whoever's moving and kind of nippy-pippy. But uh, And we tell him every time, what are you doing? You're just napping. Why are you doing? And so my, 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 his latest uh, uh, query, a uh, victim, is, uh, is my father-in-law, right, uh, who is in his chair in the corner of our room, 91 years old, gets up with his walker to go somewhere, and this dog... Just nails him every time. Like a shark coming up in Shark Week from the deep for a seal. Just, bam! Right? And he doesn't care. And he's you know, kicks, you know, uh, <laughs> But we're like, what is that? And, and I, the only thing I can come up with, I'm not a, a zoologist or a dog expert or anything like that, but uh, he, he's descended from the wolves. <laughs> and there's just something inside of my... Little eleven-pound dog's DNA that says I must kill. I must kill now. I can't stop myself. Uh, he's got two jobs: keep the Amazon guy outside and bite anybody who moves in our living room. Uh, we laugh, but we're like that. When it comes to sin, sin has created in us this hunger, this this uh, desire, this thirst, and we pounce. We, we set aside logic and, and rationale and certainly spiritual uh, obedience and we just like, hey man, it's there, let's go. Like, like uh, this is gonna work out great and all of a sudden we're doing something that is just innate to us. Now it's make or break time for Saul, he's been asked the question, why? Why'd you do this? Why'd you pounce? And he has a choice here. Now God's already told Samuel. He's done. Consequence is irrevocable, but he has a choice here to either choose rightly or wrongly. He's already wiggled once, okay, and just like you've done with your kids if you've ever raised one, um, you give them that second chance. Okay, I hear all that, but here's what I'm asking you. Did you or did you not uh, run our car into the garage or whatever it is, right? And, And you give them that one more chance. You know they did it, The cows are mooing, (laughs) the sheep are bleeding, right? You know they're guilty, and they've tried to cover it up one time. One more time, Saul, why did you do this? Why did you pounce? And Saul has this chance, like we do, to hone his stuff and to let the healing begin and to start in a different path. Anybody want to guess if he does? No, that's where we pick up today. We pick up where the king doubles down. Sorry for taking you to the casino there, but uh, uh, that's what he does. He basically puts all of his chips into the middle. He says, I'm in. I'm going. I'm with my story, and I'm not changing it. And he basically repeats it. Sam says, why? Why did you do this? And Saul says the same stuff he did four verses ago. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. How dare you? I have gone on the mission with the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. Time out. Did everybody see what Saul just did there? He totally tried to gaslight Samuel. We're familiar with this term these days, right? Gaslighting. It comes from an English play from the 1930s that actually became a movie called Gaslight. And it's the story of a a, a husband who is married to a a rich widow, uh, widower what, whatever the female version of that is anyway he marries this woman whose first husband died and left her all kinds of money and all he's in it for is the money and so what he starts doing is he starts convincing his new wife that everything she thinks is true is false convinces her uses the gaslights in the house as part of, that's where it comes from and so he, he eventually is so effective at at lying to and convincing his wife that you know, up is down and, and left is right, that she is diagnosed as insane, goes insane. And guess who gets all of her money? The end, that's the story. And that's where we get the term gaslighting. It's when we try to uh, switch up and, and, and change for our benefit the things that we know to be true with the things that are. And that's what Saul does here. Hey, man, I went, I fought, we killed some Amalekites, and I even, I kept the king, as if that's what God had commanded Slips it in there. You See how he does that? I kept the king. Gaslight. (laughs) It's like a Jedi mind trick, Star Wars fans. These are not the droids you're looking for. His chief defense is the same as it was four verses ago. I sinned a little, but mostly I was good. Can we focus on this part, please? He goes on. He says, listen, man. Uh, All of the stuff that I did, I stand by it. Uh, I I think Saul really thought he had done well enough. And and maybe even subconsciously he was thinking, hey, if the only bad part I did was keep the king, how bad is that? It's not a big deal. It's not like I gave him a a position in my cabinet or something. He's my prisoner. I'm going to kill him eventually. I just want to get some shine for him before I do. How's that a big deal? Now, he is... He is a classic um, uh, God follower in this way. A, a lot of times, especially amongst God's leaders. i just say this as a pastor myself. Maybe you've uh, served in leadership for God. There is this little trick our enemy loves to play on us called, I deserve this. Because I've done so much for God for so long, this one little indiscretion, certainly I got that coming to me. It, it, it's karma, which we don't believe in. Everybody knows that, right? Like, as long as my ledger on this side far outweighs the things that I've done on this side, I'm, I get a free one. It's like a punch card at an ice cream shop, right? I did 10 good things, I get one free bad one. And Saul's got this mindset. Some of you are like, how does he know about the punch cards at the ice cream shop? I don't know. Anyway, uh, it's what happened to David and Bathsheba. If you know their story, David. Just a long run of wins. I mean, he is crushing it as a king, but he makes just a couple bad choices that lead to his house's falling and failure. He he stays at home when he's supposed to be at war with his troops. He he, he walks out and sees over the veranda of his castle a beautiful woman bathing. Her name's Bathsheba in Hebrew, but Bathsheba in the English. And uh, he says, "I, I want her, and takes her. And if you know the story, everything. Moves forward from there, and and David was probably thinking, "Yeah, man, crushing it for God over here. At least this one thing I'm due." <clears throat> Saul says, "Hey, man, I did it, mostly." And then he goes back to deflecting. And the people, it's the people, verse 21, the people took of the spoil and the sheep and the oxen and the best of the things devoted to destruction. And and they did it for a good reason. It's that one more time, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But he's he's hiding behind this argument that doesn't even make sense. Let's let's say that as, as your pastor, I said, you know what, I really feel like God wants us to do something you know in the community or something that will benefit god's ministry here Uh, and it's going to cost us a million dollars to do so and so i ask you to give and and everybody starts giving and i come up one sunday and said you know it's kind of going slow with the giving so here's what god told me to tell you guys everybody in here is going to pick a gas station in the brandon area and you're going to put on a hood and you're going to walk in there and you're going to rob that gas station and whatever you get from that robbery you're going to bring next sunday to church and we're going to knock this million dollars out faster how about that everybody with me Now, first of all, you would, if the elders were here, they would fire me on the spot, rightly so, okay? You would ask, you know, uh, should this man be committed? Because I should be, right? That's some crazy stuff. I'm fomenting, you know, felonies. Um, And you wouldn't do it. But this is the argument that Saul is giving. Hey, yeah, I told him, go ahead and keep the flocks that they were prohibited from having. But it's it's for a great cause. It's for a good reason. We're going to do something disobedient, That will somehow honor God. It'll be great. He's deluded. Let me give you some double down facts. Here is Paul, or Paul, what's his name? Saul, yeah, Saul. Saul doubles down. Let me give you some double down facts. We as humans, we're great at this. We are just excellent. We excel in making sin seem like a great idea. It's a great idea. We love taking God's words and questioning and saying, you know what would be better? This. It's a great idea. Does everybody know what Satan's first recorded words are in the Bible? It's in in Genesis chapter 3 when he slides up next to Eve. His first words are a question. His first words are, did God actually say? Think that's been his trump card for a while now? Comes to all of us who have some basic familiarity with what God's truth is and what his hopes are for us, and our adversary comes to us and says, yeah, really? Is that what he said? Is that what he meant? Certainly not. Let's try this. It'll be better. God doesn't know what he's doing. You do. In the name of love, for uh, since creation, uh, we humans, since sin came into the world, we have been champions at neglecting truth in the name of love. We condone and enable sin because we think it's the loving thing to do for the people who are choosing it or for those in our family who have gone that way. And listen, just hear me when I say this, please. Do we have to love people, everybody? 100%, all of them, even the ones you don't love. My enemies? Yeah, Jesus talked about it, okay? Love them. Does that mean that we condone everything that people do? No. And is it possible to do both? A hundred percent. Look at our Savior. He comes to earth and he hangs out in all the places that you grew up hearing. You should not go. With all the people that you should not be with. And he's there with the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the very dregs of society. He's eating dinner with them. The Pharisees are losing their minds. He loves them. But does he say, great choices, Levi? Hey, Mary Magdalene, uh, the way you sell yourself, you know, to pay for your bills, its a what a great, good call. Is that what he's doing? No. But he's loving those who know God not and choose him not so that he can speak to them the truth that they desperately need for their lives. Are you with me? So don't all huddle up and circle in and ignore the rest of the world, but don't go to the world and become like them in condoning everything that they say. Thread the needle, people. Love and truth, possible, commanded by our God. Second thing about doubling down is that when we double down, on our versions of things, instead of accepting God's truth, we do this horrible disservice to ourselves. We actually prevent the healing that God wants to bring in the wake of our failures from beginning. Like if you leave, the, and I pray none of this happens, but if you leave this morning and you get in a car wreck, please let the ambulance take you to a doctor. Can you please, can everybody guarantee me you'll let them do that? Can everybody, is everybody with me on that? Now there's gonna be one bonehead in here It's like, well, maybe. Because, you know, yeah, like, uh, we, we love to think that we don't need the help that God gives. I was, I was out in my yard yesterday uh, just kind of cleaning up after the storm and uh, putting things back to where they were supposed to be after kind of anchoring them down. Like I took a, one of our hammocks and I actually laced it through our picnic table so that it was kind of like the anchor uh, so I didn't have to drag it inside. Who does that? Anybody does that? I do that all the time. So I'm unhooking my, my hammock from my picnic table. That's a weird sentence. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm reaching down, and uh, it, it must have happened while I was doing that that the wasp who had built the nest underneath that picnic table flew up my shirt sleeve, right? And I'm walking back to my house, and that's when it stings me, right here. I'm like, ow, hey! You know, I'm swinging at something. I don't even see it, right? And, I'm, and, and I get inside, and I'm like, well, that was weird then about 45 minutes later, that's when this, like the poison starts to really kick in. I'm like, hey, ow! Like, I'm all swollen on this side. Not because I've been working out just one side of my body. But it looks like, you know, I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger over here and Mark over here. Anyway, but, but I'm all swollen up over here. Just trust me. And it hurts even right now. It's been like 24 hours. It still kind of hurts. Well, I'm sitting there, dad comes in for dinner. Byron, my dad, comes in for dinner. He's been stung twice, same place. We're, we're going we're gonna to go pretty hard on those wasps when I get home. Anyway, uh, but he gets stung twice. And so Eleanor comes to my dad and says, hey, I, I looked up online what was, you know, like a home remedy for treating uh, uh, wasp stings. And, 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 and let me, dad, let me put these, you know, this it was some concoction of kitchen products and says, let me put this on your, uh, on your sting. And dad's like, sure. Yeah, more the merrier. Dump the whole bottle. I don't care. Yeah, just, yeah, do the whole thing. And then she comes to her husband Right, and I'm sitting there. I don't know, getting ready to preach. And she's like, "Hey, Mark, you got stung too. Do you want me to give?" I'm like, mm. "Right, no, I'm, I'll, I'll man up through this. Okay, I got this." Uh, uh, and and for a second, uh, didn't receive the healing that my wife wanted to get. But I, I think I said this earlier. She's my Saul who says stop, or my Samuel who says stop. And so she broke through my defenses and started rubbing. On, uh, uh, and I'm grateful. Uh, But that's what we do, all that to say, is God comes to us in the moments of our failure and says, Hey, can I help? Here's how this will work. You confess, I'll be faithful and just, I'll forgive, and I'll cleanse you from all all unrighteousness, and we'll start in a different direction. What do you say? Then we're like, I don't know, God. I mean, is what I did really wrong? I mean, I did most of what you commanded. And shouldn't you know, your truth kind of bend to the, the, you know, the, the, the senses or the, the ideas of our culture? Wouldn't that be more loving? Huh. And off we go. When we double down, we prohibit, prohibit the healing. And then when we double down, it's so interesting to me. When we double down, we we're essentially creating distance between us and God. Look what it says in verse 21 one more time with me. It says, the people took the spoil and the sheep and the auction. Oh, that's a hard word, uh, and the best things uh, devoted to destruction, uh, but they did it to sacrifice to the Lord, and here's the pronoun problem. What's he say? The Lord who? Hey, Sam, they did all this to sacrifice to that God of yours. Hey, Saul, king of Israel, the chosen ones of God, isn't that God of yours, the, <laughs> the, the God of Sam's, your God too? Shouldn't that pronoun be our God? Or even if you wanted to get all, you know, uh, personal about it, my God? But no, whose God is it? This is, what, this is what sin does to us, okay? God stays where he is, but sin pulls us away from him, like the prodigal to a trough. We leave the father and we're just like, mm. It's like when you're a kid, when, when you're trying to discipline your kid, Hope you do this. If you haven't done this yet, if you've got kids too young for this, this is, this is what you've got to do. Look them right in the eye. Anybody know what I'm talking about, parents? Look them right in the eye. Because if they're lying, it's hard to do it. Now, some of you got these as kids and they can do it. But, but, <laughs> but most of us have these kids who look us right in the eye and, and it just breaks them because they love us and they know they've done wrong. And, and it's the eye lock that makes them like, okay, I did it, I totally did it. Like, if you go to your kid and you're like, look me in the eye and tell me that you didn't do this, and they are like, I totally didn't do this. My mom used to, back when you could touch kids, my mom used to grab my chin, right? And as I was trying to not look her in the eye, she'd just follow me, my eyeballs, wherever they went. Tell me, Mark, did you do this or not? And finally, my eyes would close. Why? Because overwhelmed with my guilt... I'd shut them so I could cry and then admit my sin. Saul is having a hard time looking at his God in his eye. In fact, he's not even referring to him as his God. So he blows his chance to own his mistake. And So Samuel drops some knowledge. That's where it goes next. Here's knowledge nugget number one. Samuel's going to tell Saul, hey, man. Appreciate you uh, uh, intending to sacrifice these cows and sheep for the, you know, the honor of God, uh, but God would much rather have your obedience than your ritualistic acts of worship. Uh, read that with me so you can say that you said it. Everybody see it on the back there? It says this, Obedience is our greatest act of worship. Say it again. Our obedience is our greatest act of worship. If you think coming to church, joining a life group, serving with the kids is what somehow appeases God, certainly it's part of it. But if you're doing all of those things and not connecting your heart to the event, God wants to be clear with you. I'd rather have what's real in you than what's ritualistic in your sacrifice. The second thing is this, God eventually rejects those who reject him. Say that with me. God eventually rejects those who reject him. These are the two things that Samuel's going to teach Saul starting in verse 22 as he talks about obedience being the greatest act of our worship. In verse 22, Sam says this, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Don't get it twisted. God appreciates the sacrifices. In fact, he commanded them. In the old covenant, that's how you would atone for your sin. He's not saying skip the sacrifices. He's just saying, am I as delighted in sacrifices as I am with your obedience? The answer is no. Why? Because behold, To obey is better than sacrifice and to listen is better than the fat of rams being offered in my name. This is what Jesus was talking about when he's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. And he's talking about uh, relationships being at odds. And he says, hey, if you go to the altar, to the temple, to offer your sacrifices and you remember there that you and your brother are out of sorts, leave the sacrifice And go fix things with your brother. Deal with the things that you need to obey me in, like loving one another. Go take care of that before you offer the sacrifice because to offer the sacrifice, while that is still out of sorts, is just a ritual. You're just doing it because you got to. He says obedience is better and sacrifice. Verse 23, for rebellion is as a sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. There's a bunch of words we don't use in our normal run of life. Let's start with divina- divination. Divination is basically, I wrote it down, it's, the unco- it's, it's to uncover hidden knowledge by supernatural means. It's associated with the occult and involves fortune telling, or as they used to call it, soothsaying. Like the Philistines here in 1 Samuel had uh, called up their diviners to try to figure out what they should do with the Ark of the Covenant. If you remember that story, they had stolen the Ark of the Covenant. And they, they called up their, their, their spiritualists and said, hey, uh, get in touch with these spiritual advisors of yours and let us know what we should do. And, and so Samuel says, hey man, disobedience, rebellion against God is basically you saying I don't need God and I'm going to tap into all of the other sources that could advise me in life, whether it be spiritual ones or selfish ones or uh, in Saul's case, uh, peer pressure ones. I wanted to please the army, so I gave him the cows. But you're listening to everybody else except the one you should be listening to. And that's what's taking you away. Away from what God would have you experience in life. He says presumption is as iniquity or sin And idolatry, Uh, presumption, presuming on the commands of God, your definition of what that means, presuming on what he will allow, even though he says, wipe out all the Amalekites and everything they got. Well, of course God will allow me to keep the king, ag, 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 right? And of course it'll be fine that I reward the the armies with these these, these, uh, choice animals and these herds, we'll sacrifice them to God and everybody wins, it's a presumption that Saul makes on the commands of God. I'm so grateful that people don't do that anymore. Isn't it awesome to live in a world where no one presumes upon the God that they serve, what they think that he means? Isn't it great to live in that world? Are you picking up my sarcasm a little bit? We do this all the time. I'm special. I know that applies to everybody else, but God doesn't mean that for me. It's me. And so I presume I can do this. And what does Samuel call that? It's idolatry. You know who we're worshiping in those moments? Not me, you guys. You're worshiping yourselves. I do too. So that's the first nugget of knowledge that Samuel drops. The second one is this God eventually rejects those who reject him. <laughs> He says this, he says, hey, Saul, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. It's not that he's just kind of made this up willy-nilly. It is a proper response from a holy God to meet your rejection with his rejection. Now, I wrote this down, this point, very carefully. I said, if you remember, if you want to put it back up there for me, Matt, I said... God eventually rejects those who reject him. Put eventually in there very, very specifically. Because is anybody in here grateful for the fact that God is a patient God? Like everybody understands that at our first sign of rebellion, our first, uh, you know, rejection of him, he would be well within his rights as a holy and just God to be like, done, Tom, we're done, sorry, bud. He could be a zero-tolerance God, but he is so patient with us, so long-suffering. The apostle Peter is writing about this very idea as he's talking to his friends about the coming of Jesus Christ. And some of his friends were saying, man, it's taking too long. I feel that way some days. Anybody? Anybody been there? Jesus, come on. Let's get out of here. But Peter was writing to a crowd that that was their ascent, that was their belief. And he, he said this to them in 2 Peter verse, chapter 3, verse 9. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise of his return. As some count slowness to be. I know you'd like him to hurry up, but he, he's, he's got this completely in control. He knows what he's doing. Why? Because he's patient. Towards who? Towards you, people I'm writing to. And towards everybody, not wishing that anyone should perish. And that all should reach repentance i thank god for his patience with me i pray you do as well but understand look at me look at me understand this okay god's patience eventually stops and he listen uh, we, we're not going to get into eternal security and things like that i don't think he throws you out of the kingdom but he will cause the endings of life's victories for you as a result of you rejecting him, like he's done here with Saul. Hey, man, you can't mock me. You can't just make like I don't matter. You can't just choose your own (laughs) version of truth and think that that's not going to be something that I eventually deal with. God eventually rejects those who reject him. So here we go. in, In five minutes the rest of the verses. So Saul says to Samuel, oh, I have sinned. I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and and I've even broken the the words that you said to me, uh, Sam. I've blown it with him, I've blown it with you. And it's all because I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. So so here's what we're gonna do. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. Anybody believe him? Okay. Okay. you can take it either way. Saul's finally come to his senses. Uh, what I think's really happened here is that Samuel has clearly explained the consequences and, and Saul's like, whoa, really? What? I'm going to lose the, the throne? Like I know, you know a chapter ago, you told me I wasn't going to have any, any uh, you know, descendants on the throne and I guess that's fine, but, but, but now you're going to kick me off? Hang on. Uh, l- listen, you've done this with me before, Samuel. L- let's go work this out. Do your prophet stuff. I confess, I did it. Now, forego the consequences. Let's all zip this up. It's, you know what it's like? It's like having a, a younger sibling. Uh, mine was a little sister, Erin. And, and we'd be downstairs, you know, because we lived in the north and they had downstairs. But we'd, we'd be downstairs and, and uh, you'd just be, you know, playing around. And then all of a sudden, she'd say something, you'd say something, she'd tap you and then you'd just haul off and punch her as hard as you can in the shoulder uh, I, I can neither confirm nor deny but, uh, but that would happen and she would immediately start crying why? because you heard her and you know this is what you know as an older brother blew it and there is a, a, a much larger than me mother upstairs and if I hear her feet coming down the stairs this is going to get all biblical up in here right so what do you do You do, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Not sorry, but I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Please don't let mom come down here. In fact, go ahead. Hit me as often as you want, as hard as you want. Because a four-year-old girl's not going to hurt. You know that, right? Have at it. Oh, ow, oh, oh. Are we good? Awesome. It's like it never happened. That's what I think Saul's doing. Oh, hurry up, Samuel, make it all go away. And Samuel says to Saul, verse 26, I'm not going back with you. Why? Because I already told you, you rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And so now Saul's desperate. In verse 27, this is what it says. Saul Samuel turns to go away, and Saul lunges at him. Like dies, because he seizes the skirt, which is the hem, the bottom. He like, he goes all like you know, shoestring tackle on him. You're not going anywhere, prophet. Absolve me of my sins. And he grabs the hem of Samuel's robe as he's leaving to go out of the uh, the scene, and it tears. Okay, you got to get this. In Numbers chapter 38, priests and certainly prophets in this case. Remember uh Samuel's mom, Hannah, used to make him a robe every year, right? And so it was probably like a little miniature version, you know, like kids wear Halloween of superhero costumes. It's just a little miniature version of what the ephod and what the priests wore. And and so for years, Samuel has been wearing priestly robes. You know what's at the bottom of a priestly robe? In Numbers 38, it is, it is prescribed for priests to sew on tassels like little streamers. Uh, that Each one, get this, representing one of the commands of God. And And that's what was down at the hem of the robe. And so Saul, the the disobedient king, desperate to hold on to his kingdom, reaches out and as he does, he doesn't grab Samuel, he grabs the tassels probably that represented the commands that he had broken. And Samuel's like, well, this is too good. And so he says to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day. And he's gonna give it to a neighbor of yours. David, next week, see you then. This guy's going to be better than you. Not perfect, but better. Hmm. Two things as we leave. The first one is this. Please don't live to honor yourself. Saul is pathetic. He's tripling down. Verse 30. He says, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow one more time before the Lord, who's God? Make it all better, Sam. That's your job. I'm the king. Interesting thing, verse 31. So Samuel turns back after Saul, and Saul bows before the Lord. Wait, what? We just went through all this stuff. You're, re- you're rejected by God. You're, I'm not going with you. Is Samuel a liar? No. Can we all agree that Samuel's not a liar? Yeah, he's not a, he's not a liar. So, so where's he going when he turns back with God? Here's the picture I have. Samuel is, is not going with Saul because Saul, if, if you know Saul's story, he's fine with making sacrifices on his own. Uh, Samuel's just, you know, an, an added piece of this and all he's hoping is to hold on to his kingdom. So, so Saul is heading back to, to do all the things that he's got to do. But as he's sitting down or getting down ready to do his sacrifices, Samuel leaves him there and he goes over to the prison, you know, which is one person. There's only one prisoner. He goes over to the prison cage and says, hey, bring to me uh, Agag. Can you go to the next verse? Verse 32 says that Samuel asks for Agag. Uh, bring the Agag, uh, the Agag. Bring Agag the king of the Amalekites to me. And Agag bounces out of his cage cheerfully. And he says, awesome. Surely the bitterness of death is past. Why does he say that? Because he's standing in front of a prophet. This isn't a soldier. He's not wearing a sword. He's not trained to kill. He's God's, the God of Israel's man. Apparently, I'm about to be absolved of something. This is awesome. I somehow escaped. Samuel says this to Agag. As Saul's over there doing some fake worship to try to hold on to his kingdom, Samuel's over here doing what God has commanded to be done. And he says, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women today. This is like a Clint Eastwood movie. (laughs) And this is is kind of alarming, but Samuel grabs somebody's sword, didn't wear one on his own, but he grabs someone's sword. And it's the only time that I know of in recorded Samuel history that he ends a brother. And he doesn't just end Agag, it says he hacks him to pieces. Sorry for everybody's sensibilities on that, enjoy your lunch. But this is the picture that we have here. Rebellious, disobedient king, trying to fake his way back into the favor of God. Obedient, humble servant, Samuel, doing what this bozo should have always done already. And so I say to you, don't try to preserve yourself, When you come to failures, and they are coming, don't wiggle, don't double down, don't hold on to your version of the truth, accept God's version of who you are. We are broken, Uh, uh, wretched. That's why his grace is necessary, to save a wretch like me, right? The quicker we get there, the quicker we can get to the healing, We can get back to obeying, which is what true worship is all about. We can get back to living in his favor and not facing his rejection because of our rejection. So don't preserve yourself, just do what God commands. Obey him in life. That'll take our surrender. Let's stand and sing that together. All to Jesus. I surrender All oh, to Him I freely give I will ever love and drive. Pray. Hey, God in heaven, uh, thank you for your patience. Uh, we stand here in this room and watch online, every one of us, uh, guilty of failing you before. We're going to make mistakes again. Uh, God, if we haven't learned this yet, would you teach us to surrender and humbly admit when we've been wrong and, and to confess our sins so you can be faithful and just and forgive it? Would you grant us, God, uh, even, even now, we're about to head to cars and we got to, most of us uh, a day off tomorrow from school and work or whatever. But, but if there's things that need to be made right in our lives, things that we've made excuses about because we know better than you do, forgive us. Help us to go and deal with those things right now. I want to pray for people who are listening to me pray, uh, you know, for the however many th uh, time and they know that they don't know you, they haven't received Jesus, and they need to know you, and they're trying to talk themselves out of it again, Lord. Would you please have them come talk to me or someone in our prayer room or someone that they came with so that they can know who you are and surrender and align themselves with you and your truth. That's my prayer for us today. And I pray it in Jesus' name. And the church said, if that was you, come and talk. We'll Have a, have a great week, and we'll see you next time.